0: The thing that made the biggest difference for me, and this took years, is when I finally started leaning into that discomfort. Instead of trying to avoid it, which I did very well for a long time, instead of trying to like talk my way out of it or change my self talk and convince myself that it was okay, it's not a personal thing, like none of that worked for me personally. It was only until I actually allowed myself to feel it and to like the, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway kind of thing, but more of like, you know, from meditation and yoga and mindfulness. And from that end, that's a lot of work had to go into it first. But, you know, years ago, I was, I, when I needed to kickstart my copywriting business again, I, I made like 2000 call, cold calls and emails and all these things. That, that was crazy. Like there was no way I would have been able to do that. And it was uncomfortable, but it was through that discomfort that I realized that it's like any other kind of exposure therapy, right? If you're afraid of something and you incrementally increase your exposure to it and you get more present with whatever those sensations are that you're trying to avoid because most people don't want to be uncomfortable, that's like a superpower because you can actually then choose to do things even if it sucks if somebody says no or somebody hangs up on you or the CEO gives you a hard time about your recommendations. So it's not it's not like one simple answer to like, oh, just think this, you know, it's more of like a practice.
1: In this episode, I'm interviewing Marcus. He is a marketing coach and a copywriter. He also has a podcast called Work Self Life. In this episode, he's gonna explain to us how he got into copywriting, how he transitioned into more of a coaching role, helping companies get clear on their messaging, which is so critical, such a foundational step to do before you start any copywriting. But what I loved most about this episode was that we talk a lot about mindset. Marcus definitely leans on his coaching experience and expertise to bring us some awesome wisdom. So I know you're going to love this conversation. Make sure you're subscribed if you're listening on the Paid Copywriter Podcast. I'm bringing you valuable interviews and tips and content marketing and copywriting information weekly. So let's get right into it.
0: My name is Marcus Schaller. I have been freelancing now for a little bit over 20 years. Currently. I work as a marketing coach and copywriter and focusing primarily on helping founders create very clear and more importantly, customer-focused messaging for their businesses. And in addition to that, I also host the Work Self Life podcast, which I created to help entrepreneurs build a business that really expresses their unique talents, interests, and purpose.
1: Amazing. Tell me how you got into copywriting.
0: So- Way back in the day, I, I, I did not have a marketing background initially. So when I was in my early 20s, I started a fitness company, like a personal training company, pretty straight. You know, it was just basically me. Right. So no marketing or selling background at that point and realized very quickly that I wasn't going to be able to make it very far unless I figured out how to market my services. So I, you know, just immersed myself in everything I could about marketing and sales and very quickly discovered that I was actually more interested in those things than I was in personal fitness, right? So that I, you know, pivoted out of that pretty quickly because I I found myself, you know, standing next to people in gym, counting reps was rather boring. So what I did is I actually started teaching ups on, on marketing. There wasn't really personal branding back then. It wasn't really a thing, but in general, just kind of messaging and branding back in New York city, where I'm from and uh that kind of kind of snowballed from there i had a a book that originally had self-published that got picked up by mcgraw hill and published in 2006 which was cool and then like many of these types of creative creative careers it kind of evolved on its own where i started working with kind of moving away from the coaching side of things to doing more kind of straight copywriting for larger companies right so initially i did a lot of stuff for like trade organizations Creating not only messaging like customer facing messaging for like landing pages and and websites and things like that, but also like as content marketing became more of a thing, uh, starting to do a lot of those types of projects. And then a few years ago, like a lot of people, I decided to focus on SaaS and technology companies to focus on as far as clients. And I've been doing that now for a few years. Now I'm kind of going back to my roots of coaching. And moving away from the actual copywriting project-based work that I've been doing for a long time and really going back to my roots of working directly with entrepreneurs and founders and business owners to help them really develop what their messaging should be based on, you know, things like, you know, their authentic strengths as a business, things like that.
1: And what made you, what was responsible for the segue into that? Because- you were doing copywriting and I'm sure you identified something that was missing or lacking that
0: mm.
1: pushed you more toward the branding and the messaging.
0: Yeah, I think I missed, I really, really missed working directly with we'll call it the end user, but with the client, right? It's just like, that was a big part of it. I really enjoyed doing my workshops. I really enjoyed the, this one-on-one coaching relationship that I would have with people because I looked at it as a, as a, primarily a problem-solving relationship, right? It's not just, here's what you should do or here's the five steps or whatever. That wasn't really my approach with it is I really wanted to not only deeply understand what it is they were trying to accomplish and what they cared about, but then also help them have their own epiphanies and their own ha- aha moments of clarity, right? Because when you're so close to something, it's very hard to see your options. And especially if you're not a professional marketer or you're not necessarily thinking in those terms, it can get very very confusing right so after many years of doing you know what we kind of consider just your your bread and butter kind of copywriting projects for clients and agencies i just got to a point where i realized that that wasn't really what i was enjoying anymore and another part of it too is the thing that i really enjoyed about marketing at the beginning was how to take a service or a product a solution to a problem And be able to communicate to that, to the right types of customers very clearly and in a very targeted way. And so that was, you know, your kind of classic messaging or branding, that kind of thing. With content marketing, when I started, you know, 20 plus years ago, content marketing, there was no such word for that. It was like, I think Seth Godin kind of coined originally like permission marketing, right? So it's just like this brand new thing. Um, And as that really took off and as demand for content creation just took off by especially companies, it just—it seemed like most of my projects were about that, and what was weird about it is I realized I kind of woke up one day and realized it's like I'm writing long-form articles and white papers and ebooks about topics that I'm n- n- like not necessarily very interested in writing about, right? So I think my career kind of took me along with it, with the with the you know kind of momentum of market demand. And when things are going well with that, especially as a freelancer, everybody's listening to this, you know, when you, you know, yourself too, how it can be a little bit up and down and you kind of take what you can, when you can. So I just got to the point where I just realized it's like, there's really no, there's no tomorrow to this for me. And I really want to go back to what I really enjoyed doing.
1: That's awesome. Speaking of your gym business and running workshops and marketing, hmm. are you familiar with Alex Hermozzi? No. You should check him out. He's someone who he built a gym and then got into the marketing side of things and then mm. got obsessed with it. And he's like a one of like the younger like millionaires out there and he's super successful, but it reminded me of what you were saying in terms of like marketing a business and then finding out it's marketing that you were, were interested in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I wish I could say I had the same trajectory as Alex did with, you know, becoming the millionaire, but it didn't happen, but no, that's really cool. And that's, it's a lot of times, you know, with people's careers, they start, you can start with what you think you want to do. And as you evolve and learn new things, you discover other aspects that might be more interesting. And it is, it is a bit of a journey of exploration.
1: Yeah. Tell me about how you lead clients through like the exercises and the workshops or whatever it is you do with clients to tease out their brand message. I'm asking Mm -hmm. this selfishly because I am working on some website copy right now with a photographer a, a personal brand photographer. So we mm-hmm. kind of bartered because I'm getting headshots from her and she asked me to help her with their website, but I am a B2B copywriter. So mm-hmm. doing this like direct to consumer, like freelancer, solo business, you know, niche is not in my wheelhouse. So right now I'm looking at all of these resources to try to understand like, well, what do I ask her? How do I get the root, get to the root of what she's offering and tease out mm-hmm. her value propositions? What do you do with your clients? I'm asking selfishly.
0: <laughs> no, that's great. That's a great question too. I'll start by just recapping a little bit when I mentioned about the workshops back back in the, this is my back in the day speech. You know, It was much more like me telling people a system, right? And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's where I was back then. It was really more about, I, I've, I love thinking in systems. I still do. And I still want to create repeatable systems for people. But it was much more kind of like, here's a system that you can follow to get these types of results. And my own, I think where I really changed over the last few years, especially is I'm much more interested now in getting a deeper understanding of the people I'm working with than telling them what they should do, right? Because I'm kind of, you and I talked recently and I said, I'm kind of a fixer by nature. Like, you know, my first instinct is to jump in way to a fault and tell people, oh, this is what you should do. And this is do, do this, do this, this, you know, it wasn't a good look necessarily. Right. So now what I'm really more focused on is before I start jumping in with any kind of advice, I want to make sure that a, I really understand what the person is going through, what they care about, what they're trying to build, because advice without that context is, or not only potentially useless, it's also really damaging because it it kind of keeps people chasing in the wrong directions. But I often find that people are able to also have what, when, when they're guided by somebody who has a little bit of experience with this and knows what kind of questions to ask and just can even just be present with them and listen, which is not as common a thing today as we would like. A lot of times people have their own epiphanies. They'll kind of have their own little aha moments of, you know, of clarity with what direction or the option that might make more sense. So I'll give you an example. Like if you're working with this, this friend of yours, or, you know, you're kind of exchanging these services and, you know, think about somebody like yourself or myself, who's launching their own business. Maybe they're a year or two into it and they have so many different options they can pursue. And it's very overwhelming. And, Even just thinking out loud or riffing with somebody about what it is they're trying to achieve, or the type of clients they really like working with, or the type of projects they really love doing, like just to be have the permission to express that sometimes could be enough to make somebody just go like, oh, like that's that's a thing that I need to now follow. Right. And then once once that is in motion and that kind of atmosphere is is the foundation of that is built. In with the relationship with the client, then I can, in a very kind of, kind of like just being mindful not to make it this like fire hose of information, start to introduce principles or systems or action steps and things like that. But really making sure first that I have as much of an understanding as possible.
1: Yeah, that's incredible. And I, that's, I'm definitely going to use that with her in terms of like, who is your ideal client? Because like, Mm. I think anytime a business owner hears that, they have an image in their head and they that gets them really inspired. Like, oh, well, I would love to get this type of client. And then you can craft all the messaging toward that persona.
0: Yeah, because then that's the other half of it, right? So, you know, the, the actual writing of something, a lot of the people that I've worked with in the past, they're not necessarily writers. But if a third person, third party, writes it for them, is it really theirs? Is it really expressing, you know, what it is that they're trying to express? So what I try to do as much as possible is is not again moving away from the straight copywriting work, right? It's not like, is this it? Is this it? Is this it? You know, it's more of like, what is it that you want to say? And then work together, right? Help them. Sometimes people feel very comfortable writing and they just they can run with it. Sometimes they're they're not. So if you could just be that sounding board. You know, it makes it where you're, you're really empowering people to be able to express themselves through their business much more than just if you're telling them this is the right way to do it.
1: So would you like, in terms of deliverables, do you actually give the client like a core messaging doc or mm-hmm. do you like, do you help them find a writer once they get clear on their brand? How do you, what do you deliver to them?
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, it delivery, you know, it's more of, again, that co-creation thing. So we're kind of creating it together. Uh, so yes, the, that core messaging doc, you know, if we can call it a messaging framework or a strategic narrative, or, there's, you know, there's all these different names for it. But ultimately, we, at some point in this engagement, I want the client and myself to have a, a kind of central point of truth, Right that it's it's a it's a fluid it's a living document it's not something that you 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 finalize and that's it it's but it's a central point of truth that basically captures the 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 high level it captures the nitty gritty parts that you want to make sure they're hitting like you know features benefits that kind of thing mostly so that you're focusing on the elements that are like these core strategic elements first before you start going worried about like what the headline should be and does it is it snazzy and all that stuff and then from there the other reason that's really important is a again it's a living document so it can be updated as needed but it's done for the right reasons it's not just like oh i, I want to do something let's you know that's more fun you know like okay like that's great but like why right so it has all that information and gives you a guide guidance on why you're making different decisions but also as you've seen I'm sure a million times content becomes kind of like the telephone game where you know you start with let's say for instance, you know, a landing page for a product, right? And there's not necessarily a very strong strategic foundation for it. you write it and it's like, oh, let's include these these, you know, features and benefits or whatever it is. And then, you know, somebody else takes it or maybe you go back and you, know, you write a white paper based on that. But every time you do another project based on that, there's always this like it's like a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy instead of actually going back to a central document or central foundational strategy to say, "Oh, okay, now we're working from this instead of just the last iteration of whatever project we happen to do. And that's why you see a lot of times, especially, you know, I've seen with like corporate corporate content or, or just messaging in general, you know, it's kind of like you, you see all these disparities between like what they'll talk about on the product landing page and what they talk about in the white paper and what they talk about on the webinar. It's like, it's kind of all over the place.
1: Yeah, the message keeps getting watered down with every Mm. iteration, especially if there's a large marketing department with so many different functions and freelancers and people helping with the content, it can get really watered down. What would you say to freelance writers who they're burnt out from doing so, you know, it's a grind, they're pumping out a lot of content and they want to get more involved in the strategy side of things. I think it's very intimidating for a writer to step up and say, hey, I want to flesh out your brand and help you get clear on this. What what advice would you give?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd start out by saying that with all the chatter these days about AI taking, you know, pretty significant leaps, even though things like ChatGPT are really far away from ready for prime time. If I was, if I was deciding at this point to still do like straight copywriting projects where I'm not working on the strategy side or any kind of consulting, that would need to be on my radar because it's it's like it doesn't mean that there's not going to be copywriters in the field. Like that's I just don't think that's the case. But it is something that's going to impact that industry, right? Because there's going to be clients that will opt for that, good or bad, right? So whatever we consider high quality content is debatable. But of course, there's going to be companies and agencies that start using that. They're already starting to use it, right? So just being aware that if, if it depends on what type of work you do, but if you're, let's say you're doing something that's like you do blog posts that are kind of like general listicle type of, you know, B2C type facing stuff, that might be something that you'll see a, a real hit from in the future from AI writing tools. So just something to be aware of. As far as pivoting to more of a strategy, I think with me, it really, it kind of went the opposite way because I I started out with the strategy stuff. That's what really interested me. But if you haven't done that, and actually I was talking to Brooklyn Nash recently about this. He was on my podcast and and so I'll credit him for this because I think this really was a great way of framing it. You know, he mentioned, take the opportunities that you have with the current clients you have to have those conversations, to have those strategic conversations. Let them know that you're available for that kind of thing. Offer them ideas for content and topics and things that they might be interested in. And as you start to have more of those conversations, you can start to actually be more intentional about including them in your your own value proposition, in your own kind of set of deliverables of what you can do. And it's like an evolution. You might not be able to do it overnight, but... You know, if you can over time, if you're getting burnt out on the copywriting itself, and you really want to do more of the client-facing kind of one-to-one work or, or working on strategy, find the opportunities where you can, and then as that starts to evolve, start to be more selective with the clients you take. Because if you take a client, let's say that's just a straight agency and they just want you cranking out content, you're not—you might not get the opportunity to do that kind of work. So it might be where you start to kind of, as you look for new clients, you start to be a little bit more. Hickey about which ones you take, the ones that give you the opportunity to have those conversations.
1: Yeah. I find that the newer companies, startups, and like earlier stage companies tend to be ripe for that type of work. Mm, mm. What I've found is I'll get on calls with clients. They'll, you know, come inbound on a form on my website.
0: Mm.
1: They'll say they need blogs. And then I talk to them and they have no content strategy. It's just, I need blogs. And that's usually mm-hmm. have the conversation with them. Like, okay, do you have a style guide? Do you have your voice and tone fleshed out? Do you have a document that tells me like your value propositions, your benefits features? And sometimes all they have at that point is just a really poorly done website. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. the drill when you're an early stage startup, they just put up a website and they get into action and they start closing deals. And then it's off to the races to try to scale. And they're trying to find a writer now. So that's when I would typically have that conversation when I've had those conversations in the past, like, hey, I can create a core messaging doc for you so that you can give this to freelancers. you can give this to customer success managers. you can have everybody in your company on the same page and talking the same way speaking about your products in the same way, but we have to set a foundation.
0: yeah, and that's it brings up a really good point. One of the things I love so much about what you do with your trainings because it brings up the idea of sell- selling skills and how important that that is as a, in anything in business across the board but you know in particular for freelancers because how you bring things up is going to make a big difference right so if somebody just says i need some blog posts and you're just like okay and you just write you know there's a lost opportunity now at the same time if you if you it depends on the person of course the client if you say well have you thought about this and this and this they might very well come back and say, well, yeah, but we don't need that right now. Like they're, they're just not thinking in terms. I think where the nuance comes in too is, is be able to, again, it's all about asking questions, right. And what kind of questions. So one way to frame it is, you know, ask them like, how have you, how have you figured out how to overcome this particular problem? And it's a terrible example. I'm just giving like a very generic, but it's like asking them a question, a way to get them thinking about like, how are they going to overcome this obstacle as opposed to even just saying like, have you done this yet? Because what happens is then it gets them thinking about like, oh, there's actually a downside to not doing this, right? Because if they come up that conclusion themselves, it might be a little bit more powerful. But the selling skills and the things that you're doing, so critical because then you're, you are you have that acumen to be able to ask those kind of questions. And it's in those kinds of questions, in my opinion, that people start to relate to you as an expert. It's not in knowing everything. Like when I was doing workshops and I'm up there and I'm like, here's the system and you know, okay, that's fine. But it was, I think when I learned to ask better questions, I think people took it more seriously or really understood things on a deeper level than just me being like, I'm so awesome at this, you know?
1: Yeah. I, that's something I drive home all the time with new freelancers who are intimidated by discovery calls. I always Mm. say not about selling yourself. It's about asking thoughtful questions and making the business owner think about what they're doing in a brand new angle. And that makes a huge impression. It's just thoughtful questions. And I also think it's really important for regardless of what path you take, if you are a freelance writer, a copywriter, content writer, understanding content marketing at a, you know, pretty like an overview of content marketing and understanding how a business generates revenue is really Mm. important for all writers. That's the only way I'm able to get on a call and ask them thoughtful questions is because, I I understand, oh, you have a sales department, a marketing department, this department, that department, they all talk to one another to achieve this goal. So then I can pick apart, okay, how is my writing gonna fit into that overall goal? But a lot Mm -hmm. of writers, aspiring writers, newer writers who don't have a sales or marketing background might not know that. And that's why I always recommend like some basic books like the One Page Marketing Plan by Alan Dibb, which basically like lays out like an entire marketing ecosystem on one page so you can understand how what you're doing fits into the greater scheme of things.
0: Oh, yeah. it's that system, it's that system-based awareness. And one thing too, when you mentioned about working like with a company that has a marketing department and a sales department, all that, you know, it's easy to assume that the only companies that you'll have an opportunity to add that kind of extra value as a strategist are the very small that don't have a marketing department. And for the, you know, a lot of cases, that's true, right? They don't have that role in the company. So they really, that's something that's a greater need. But don't automatically discount the impact that you can also add to a larger company that has a bona fide marketing department. Because a lot of times, the marketing people in those roles are not necessarily coming from a writing background or a content development. In fact, they're coming maybe from a more technical background or they're they're MBAs and they learned about these kind of macroeconomic marketing theories that are great if you work for Procter and Gamble, but they're not necessarily as functional day to day, right? So there's always an opportunity, even if you're working with a CMO, you know, one thing I had to learn through experience is just like, don't, don't let myself get intimidated by someone's title because they could be a CMO and they can know more than I do, but you know what? They don't have the time to do everything. And that's part of why they're bringing me in. Right. So even if they have the expertise and the knowledge, you know, you can really add some value. Even the fact that you're another person that can do this in the meantime while they're swamped, you know?
1: Totally. When you were saying that about like not getting intimidated by a higher level person, it Mm. reminded me I'm about to engage in this project where I'm doing thought leadership posts on LinkedIn for a CEO of a tech company. Mm -hmm. And I know I'm putting you on the spot, but how would you approach something like that? If somebody just said, Hey, I want you to write my LinkedIn posts. Like, here's the content that I want. Here's like, I've been given content that has all of his viewpoints and his thought leadership. I've seen interviews with him and stuff like that. But like, how would you, how would you approach an engagement like that?
0: Well, what I'd say, and it's not really about copywriting or or the marketing part, but I think for me, a core part of that has been dealing with whatever neediness or insecurity, you know, I have had had whatever, because if that I, I've talked to you before about this, like, you know, fear of rejection and all those things, there's all related to each other. And I've had those struggles for a long, long, long time and over the last few years have finally been able to really get a handle on it and go to the other side of things. And, and the reason that's important is because if you have an engagement with the CMO and you're going to write, you know, or, or CEO, whoever it is that you're like, they're, they're, kind of, they're the boss. They're used to being the boss, right? And you need to be able to engage with them as a peer in order to be able to get the information you need to do a good job. Because otherwise you're just a transcriber, which software can do, right? So- not getting into like a thing where it's like this battle over hierarchy, but where you can be comfortable enough to approach new clients or work with a client as a peer and as a expert at what you do, somebody who's comfortable doing what you do and isn't worried about challenging them a little bit when you need to, because that's a big part of it, right? If you're writing copy, especially thought leadership, that's gonna be in that person's voice, right? And they come back and they're like, well, let's say about this. And let's say they just want a feature dump or whatever. Let's, It's like kind of a, a faux pas that we want to avoid. If you don't have the comfort level to be able to challenge them and give them a reason why that might not be a good idea, know how to phrase that, then it just becomes, you're just kind of an order taker, right? And those are the kinds of engagements that might, you know, they're not necessarily, in my opinion, the most valuable because you're, you're not bringing to the table the solutions and the value that you could be.
1: Yeah. I think fear of rejection is one of the hardest parts of mm. what we do as marketers and copywriters. Can you dig a little bit deeper into that? And yeah, I'm curious. Yeah. Or-
0: <laughs> I can do an entire episode on fear of rejection for <laughs> I sure. Wish
1: I brought this up sooner.
0: <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I think it's, it's a good point for it or a good time in the conversation for it. You know, first of all, caveat or or disclaimer: I'm still, it's still a thing for me. So I'm not. Whatever I share right now, I'm not saying like, oh, I have zero discomfort with with uh, you know fear of rejection. In fact, you know, side note: I, you and I always talk about books. Like, oh, this book and that book. And and there was a book years ago that came out called "Go for No," which was like this kind of narrative, very famous book on you know "Go for No's" and the "Yeses will come." And I love that book. But there's one they actually just did a follow up, which just came out at the end of February, and it's coming to my. But to my house by Amazon on Thursday, and the reason I'm bringing that up is it takes those principles of like, you know, when you get rejected or you fail at something, your mind is telling you that you're like, everything has fallen apart. And it's counterintuitive to think of it in terms of actually the people that are most successful in life are the ones that, you know, they take the most at bats, you know, the kind of cliche baseball analogy, right? But I'm bringing that up because, you know, that kind of mentality is something that it's not, it's not, in, it's not natural necessarily think in those terms. So fear, when it comes to rejection, I struggled for years trying to think my way out of it, right? So, you know, I I don't know if I told you this story, but basically years ago, I was, I needed to make some cold calls and I was deathly afraid of it. And so I figured my other greatest fear is sky is heights. So my brilliant plan was to go skydiving because I figured if I went skydiving, then, you know, I'd have no fear. I'd be like Batman or whatever. And of course, you know, I went skydiving. That was great. And the next day, I still didn't make any calls. So, you know. I've spent so much time trying to like hack my way out of it. The thing that made the biggest difference for me, and this took years, is when I finally started leaning into that discomfort. Instead of trying to avoid it, which I did very well for a long time, instead of trying to like talk my way out of it or change my self-talk and convince myself that it was okay, it's not a personal thing. Like none of that worked for me personally. It was only until I actually allowed myself to feel it and to like the, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway, kind of thing, but more of like, you know, from meditation and yoga and mindfulness. And from that end, that's a lot of work had to go into it first. But, you know, years ago I was, I, when I needed to kickstart my copywriting business again, I I made like 2000 cold, cold calls and emails and all these things. That, that was crazy. Like there was no way I would have been able to do that. And it was uncomfortable, but it was through that discomfort that I realized that It's like any other kind of exposure therapy, right? If you're afraid of something and you incrementally increase your exposure to it and you get more present with whatever those sensations are that you're trying to avoid because most people don't want to be uncomfortable, that's like a superpower because you can actually then choose to do things even if it sucks if somebody says no or somebody hangs up on you or the CEO gives you a hard time about your recommendations. So it's not, it's not like one simple answer to like, oh, just think this, you know, it's more of like a practice.
1: Yeah, there's no getting around, just putting in the work, doing it and experiencing the rejection and just, yeah. yeah. Tell me about what
0: inspired you to start your podcast. So yeah, the Work Self Life podcast, that is relatively new, about four or five months. And these things that I just mentioned about you know, it kind of brings together all these different elements that I really, I I care very much about, you know, when it comes to like finding your strengths, being authentic, leaning into fear, you know, figuring out how to deal with limiting beliefs, all these different things. And in particular, how these things relate to building a business, right. And, and building a business that is an, an expression of creativity, as opposed to just a way to make money. So I think about entrepreneurs, like myself, who for them, business is like an artistic expression. It's creative, right? But there's so many things that stand in the way, like the limiting beliefs and the fear of rejection, all these things. So what I wanted to do was, was start sharing ideas and then conversations with people like yourself and other guests about different aspects of you know, things like strengths, as things like talents, things like callings. It gets a little spiritual at times. I mean, I'm you know, I'm a meditator, have been for almost 10 years now, you know, and it's those things I think made the biggest impact for me. So I kind of share them in a way that I think it's like for somebody who's listening, who's not maybe as experienced in that stuff can listen and go, okay, maybe there's something to that. Maybe there's something to meditation. Maybe there's something to mindfulness, to presence, to like the concept of the self, which is a whole, you know, other can of worms that we can't open up right now. But these things all had a huge effect on me and my ability to, to pursue the things I care about without just being constantly hampered by my own insecurities and my own fear.
1: Yeah, that's huge. So how would you say meditation? I know you didn't want to open that can of worms. We can go there. (laughs) How would you say that it has benefited you in terms of building a business?
0: Yeah. So I mentioned the self, right? And so this is something that, you know, if this doesn't, if this isn't super clear in the conversation, it's simply because it's really hard to express in words, but essentially most of us can, can relate to an experience where we were just aware, where we were just there and present. Maybe you're watching a movie or with your kid, whatever it is, right. But where your, your thoughts aren't constantly, you're not constantly in your head and you're just experiencing something Maybe you're working on a project and you're just completely immersed into it. And there's this no sense of I, right? The reason that mattered to me was because my sense of I, which is really a story, was a really crappy story, right? So my sense of I was, I'm going to lose. I'm going to fail. The, the, the narrative that kept going in my head for years was, this won't work. I would literally sit down, all excited to work on something or you know to build something. And my mind would just go, this won't work. And I'd believe it. You know, and then I quit. It was ridiculous. So there's a point with meditation where it trains you to experience just being aware, just being present, whether it's your breath, whether it's listening to sounds, whether it's a guided meditation, doesn't really matter. But it's that awareness of being aware where now all of a sudden you're not lost in your own story. Because if your story is I'm awesome, I'm incredible, you got this, like great, go with it. Like that wasn't my experience for myself, right? So you realize through, you know, after an amount of time doing this, that this that the words that your mind is coming, the things it's telling you is just a story. And you start to question and go, like, where did I get this belief? And it's like, oh, this is something that I've just been telling myself, you know, for years. And it's just, I think it's a it's it's the foundational practice that allows you to be able to train yourself to deal with life's challenges in a, in a very controlled atmosphere. So one analogy I use, and I'm not a sports guy, but I'll use a sports analogy again. It's like, if you're a basketball player and you want to get really good at three point shots in a game, you're not going to wait till the game, right? You're not going to wait till you have defenders up in your face. You're going to practice in the gym. It's kind of the same thing for me. Like if I want to be able to maintain, like you mentioned this, you know, working with like a high profile client, If you want to be able to maintain that lack of neediness and that confidence in that situation with this person that's like intimidating, whatever it is, to be able to meditate and just create that presence and that stillness on a regular basis under your own terms and controlled conditions, even if you don't believe in any of the spiritual stuff and you don't care about any of that, just that practice by itself is like a huge self-mastery tool.
1: Yeah, I love that you're saying that. And as you were speaking, I'm thinking about the beginning of my freelance writing journey because I had that same belief of like, this just won't work. Mm. And that's why even though I had been Googling like how to become a writer, how to work from home, how to be self-employed, I stayed Googling it for years Mm. because there was this invisible wall that I'd hit every time thinking this isn't possible for me. Like I, yeah, I can read a blog article and someone's laying out the steps, but that doesn't mean it's going to work for me. Yeah. But yeah. it wasn't until I had quit my sales job and literally was unemployed and had this downtime, which at that time I was doing a lot of meditating, a lot of journaling, a lot of the breath work and all that stuff. Like I had seen a career counselor. I saw a, an intuitive astrologer. Like when I tell you I was going deep on the self exploration, trying to figure it out, I, I really was going deep. And I actually think that all that stuff was great, but just being able to actually recharge and relax and not mm-hmm. be in a high pressured sales job and actually just be, is mm-hmm. was really what brought me to the clarity I needed to finally pursue writing. And I always tell that story, but I also understand that taking a hiatus and a self-enforced sabbatical from a job is not possible for most people. It really wasn't even yeah. possible for me. I just took like, you know, the, the financial loss and just took a little bit of a break for a few months. But when that's just what you made me think of when you said like, just getting quiet and listening and actually acknowledging the voice that's telling
0: you this won't work for you. Yeah, because think about like, and I, you know, we both had that experience, and I imagine a lot of people listening or watching this ha- can relate to it. And, and maybe the words are different, but it's the same theme, right? You're not enough. You can't do this. You'll fail, whatever it is. Think about how easy it is to be reactive in life. And forget about recently with social media and all that's just a whole nother layer, right? But just how easy it is just to constantly be lost in your own thoughts, lost in your mind, reacting to the moments of the day or the moments, the pressures, the challenges. And there's a point where you can, when you can slow down and, and you could slow down even if you have a full-time job. So this isn't something you have to stop working in order to do. This is a practice like going to the gym. I mean, it's like, you know, you can go to the gym, you could do this. If you think about building the skill of being able to create stillness, what happens is you start noticing, we can call it intuition, right? I'm one of these people now that I'm like, I'm all intuition because all the other stuff was just the story. And I realized after years, like, oh, the story isn't really working for me. There's a deeper part where you start to, and you can call it the unconscious, right? When you think about the problem solver in your mind, that the unconscious problem solving ability that is able to connect things in ways that you could never do consciously. So again, whatever the word is, doesn't matter. But intuition in that sense, when you get inspired and when you have a vision for something, there's something to that, right? So if you're able to get quiet enough to pay attention to that, and then realize when you're hearing the this won't work, you, you're gonna fail, whatever, that's part of the leaning into the discomfort. Because that's all that fear of rejection for me was. There was two elements. One was I didn't, I was marketing myself or selling in a way that didn't feel authentic, which I've since taken care of because that just didn't feel right to me. Right. Second way, second reason was it was, it was in my head, I'd created this rule. It's a really bad rule. <laughs> That if something's meant to be, it'll happen quickly or it'll happen easily. And if it doesn't happen quickly or easily, that means it's not meant to be. So of course, you start a business, you kind of get a lot of not not happening right away, right? So now all of a sudden in my mind, I'm going, well, this isn't working. If you're just lost in your thoughts and reacting, you're just going to go with that. It's just habitual automated action. When you're able to slow down, be present with something, allow these things to kind of come and go on their own and get some clarity. Now you're in a situation where you can see them with a lot more perspective, right? And then you can decide, oh, wait a minute. I I know what that is, right? And all of a sudden it, it just starts to lose its power.
1: Yeah. I think there's just an energy we all carry and that we bring with us onto like these calls and our marketing and our website. And like, it's unconscious, but I think even people who completely deny the, existence of like oh energy and vibes we're all subconsciously picking up on it so I oh, think yes. I think yeah. we're all like antennas that are constantly picking up on frequencies but it just happens at such a subconscious level like we know when somebody wants something from us we know mm-hmm. when somebody's desperate we we pick up on very subtle cues mm-hmm. that give people away even if we're really we don't think we're looking for those cues. So That's something that I also talk a lot about is coming to things with the right energy.
0: It's Mm -hmm. like before
1: you get on that call or before you communicate with that client, like check yourself and just say like, what am I bringing into this interaction? And I know that was especially important for me because I went in-house as a content lead. I Mm -hmm. literally like dissolved my freelance business, took a full-time role and then it didn't work. So I boomeranged out of it and then started building my freelance business again. But I was so upset about a lot of what happened at the full-time role. I was, you know, I had all these expectations. I thought it was going to be amazing. And then I wound up quitting in like six months. Mm. Um, And I also had my ego like bruised a bit because I don't think people in the company really liked me. And Mm. my ideas kind of like shut down a few times. So I took a few, like I had a few bruises. And I said to myself, if I stay in this mode of like, feeling bad for myself and feeling bitter, I'm not going to get clients. Like I, I I was so afraid of that. Like, I don't want to bring this bitterness and this baggage into a Mm. new venture. And I have to get my head right before I get on these calls.
0: That was just so important to me. You really, what you brought up. And first of all, I can really relate to that specific experience, but also the, you know, the, in general, that kind of worrying and, and the baggage of it. But you, you brought up a couple of things that I think really highlights that principle that I was mentioning before about a lot of this really just comes down to the simple notion of, are you thinking about yourself? Or are you thinking about the other person? It's easy to say that, right? It's so easy to say, just be focused on giving and don't have expectations. Like, yes, that's great. Easier said than done. But all it comes down to is that. So when I talk about you know, whatever we talk about meditation or mindfulness, whatever, however you get there, if you're coming, let's say you're making a cold call, whatever, or you're about to work with this, did you say it was a CEO, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. You're about to work with the CEO person. And, you know, the difference, imagine the difference between you coming at that relationship and being present in a way where you're 100% focused on how can I serve? What problems can I help them solve? Whatever, like, name it like add value whatever you want to do versus are they gonna like me are they going to think I'm smart are they gonna like my work like it's night and day so again how do you get there well that's a that's practice right because our habitual instinct or our you know our conditioned mind is always going to think about us that's the nature of the ego it's me what is, how does this affect me that's what creates neediness right to be able to legitimately have an interaction with somebody where you know, yes, there's still the part of your ego. There's always going to be that where you, you know, there's the survival instinct and all those. It's not, like you know, get rid of it altogether, but you're not driven by it. So even this conversation, right? It's like if I were to sit down and talk to you and be like, oh wow, how do I make myself look really impressive? How do I show off all my knowledge, whatever? Like, um, maybe that's how I'm coming off. Hopefully not. But like, wow. I'm not gonna feel good doing it, right? I'm gonna feel like, uh, this isn't me. So to the best of my ability, and that ability will only hopefully get better in the future as I continue in this own process for myself, it's just to be like, how can I be present? How can I listen? How can I share? Like, it sounds kind of hokey to say it that way, but it really is all it comes down to. Because then if you think about even prospecting, I mentioned before that whole go for no thing. What is that all about? What if they make me feel stupid? What if they think I'm a pest? Like, It's all about me. And the trick is, when I mentioned before about being able to trust your intuition and trust something that's a little deeper than just your mind going crazy, is that in my experience, that intelligence, whatever that is, that unconscious, the creative intelligence, the source, whatever you want to call it, knows what's best for everything. And it includes us. So if we follow that, it doesn't leave us behind. It's not like if you serve other people, all of a sudden now you're destitute. That's actually the reverse of how it works, right? If you're serving people and you're still you know, you don't want to get taken advantage of. You don't serve them and not charge them or you don't serve them and let them not pay you on time. Like you still have to have some pragmatic attitudes to life, but being in a mode of service, like in my experience for years struggling financially, I realized like that was the biggest turning point for me because like people will laugh and say, the money will follow. The money does follow. You know, it doesn't mean just do what you feel like, but it does mean like if you're really following that deeper guidance in a lot of cases, the money, money that you didn't even think was like real, like that amount, like what, like that's when it's there and you're like, what, how did this even happen? So again, I'm going a little bit off the deep end, but hopefully that all. No, I,
1: it is relevant. And I also just think from like a really pragmatic viewpoint, this game of marketing and copywriting is a long game. Building a mm-hmm. brand is a long game. So the money is going to follow if you stick with it and you're going to stick with something that feels true to you and that you enjoy doing and doesn't really feel like such a grind. So that's the thing right now, like copywriting has become more, it's really blown up and all of a sudden becomes sensationalized as a get rich quick scheme. Mm. And I just don't understand it. But I also think it's because I'm from the content marketing world where it's like, I'm getting a software company to pay me to write more like brand focused Content, so mm-hmm. I'm not in that direct response world. I'm not in the what do they call it, ClickBank or whatever, where it's like write a sales page and make royalty. Like you know, that's yeah. where I feel like the get rich quick side of all of this comes in, which is I'm not in that world, but I'm sure you've seen it.
0: <laughs> it's been around forever. I mean, I it's you know back when this is where I have my old man moment. You know, when I talk about the beginnings of Google AdWords back when it was called AdWords and. You know, there was people selling courses on how to create Google AdWord campaigns. I mean, Tim Ferriss, Four Hour Workweek is a great book, but that's a big part of what that was. And he wasn't saying you're going to get rich quick, but it was that whole thing of, you know, basically, and we're seeing this now again with, with ChatGPT, it's all this like how to get rich without any effort. Like, look, if you want, if you're going to start a business that people can get rich without any effort, you're going to have a lot of competition because unless you invented it, you're going to have a lot of other people doing it. So right now, and it has been for years, but like the whole get rich quick with a freelancer and the six figure freelancers, whatever version of that we want to call it, make six figures, please go ahead and make six figures. That's awesome. But I think with writers particularly, it's kind of like writers for so long as a as a profession, it's been so relatively low paying for the majority of people in it, you know, and then you have, of course, the Stephen Kings and the, you know, Malcolm Gladwells and all that stuff. But for the most part, it's like, you know, it's like acting or it's like comedy or whatever. It's like, you know, you have a very few people at the top of it who make most of the money. And then you have a lot of people that don't. So when there's an option for for somebody to monetize that skill, it's understandably very compelling. Personally, I think that, as important as it is to make a solid living and to be able to enjoy the things in life that you want to materially going for something simply because you think it's going to be a gold rush is for me was, you know, never on the table because even thinking about like, should I do like a book about this? Like, ew, like why would I want to, you know what I mean? Like, I don't care about this thing. And I think that shows through. It's not only about it being a long game, but like if you're doing copywriting because you think it's just going to make you rich or wealthy or you're going to make a ton of money, whatever version of that it is, but you don't really care about it, hey, you're not going to have a very good time doing it and people are going to tell. Like this is one of the reasons I'm getting out of the copywriting now. Like it's still part of my skill set when I work with a client because it's an important part of that. But as far as somebody handing me a brief and I write something, like I'm moving away from that because like if it's not enjoyable anymore, I'm not really as good company to them as I might have been. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you're doing them a service by kind of turning down the projects that you're not super passionate about, which is good. Well, Marcus, tell everyone where they can find you and tune into your podcast and all that good stuff.
0: Well, best place to find me is marcuschaller.com. So M-A-R-C-U-S-S-C-H-A-L-L-E-R.com. The podcast is workselflife.com. And I'm on LinkedIn as well. So there's a link on my marcuschaller.com homepage for that. So please feel free to connect with me and reach out.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Marcus. This conversation has taken a lot of different turns, but I think so many people are going to resonate with it.
0: Well, I hope so. And I appreciate the time. I hope it was useful.